Sentire Media. Here we go. Good morning, and thank you so much for joining our podcast from Italy on a beautiful Monday, the 17th of July. My name is Jason. I'm sitting right next to my beautiful wife, Ashley. Good morning. Ciao. Good morning. Today, 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 together, bleh, a little tongue tie this morning. Together, we run, own, and operate La Tavola Marche, an agriturismo cooking school here in Piobico, Italia, the beautiful rolling hills of the Apennines. It's 8.21 in the morning uh, in the 17th of Monday. I already mentioned that, and we are... <laughs> you are a little tongue-tied this morning. I am morning. a little tongue-tied this morning. We decided to uh, fire up the mics. We have a little, uh, little break from the heat. Uh, oh, it's been a hot one. Hot, hot, hot out here. Uh, Carote, I think is the name of Caronte. Caronte. They love to name the storms out here. And well, I don't know if it's central or a, heat wave and system. system, sorry. Uh, and it has been going on. Caronte has been here since June. Early June, yeah, <laughs> when my brother was here. It has been hot. No rain. Is this going this is all through Italy, not just here in central Italy. Yeah, it's been dry and really hot and the um the winds from Africa, that dry, Ooh. hot wind. Um it's gotten to the point where the rivers and streams and the ground has started cracking. The rivers and streams look like they do in late August, early September, right at the end of the summer dry season. So I'm a little nervous. I know. Jace, poor Jason has to water the garden by hand. And to keep that garden looking green and producing fruit, you are watering how many hours a day? Three. Well, I, I have to water. I started trying to wake up at around 530 five thirty and get out down there and water. The problem is it gets so hot and it's so dry so quick that most of it evaporates. So um I've switched to watering at night and I have a little mm-hmm. headlamp that I wear and <laughs> after dinner so I just get out there and water till eleven o'clock at night and it soaks in it ha- it gives the ch- plants a chance to soak up the water mm-hmm. a little bit. Otherwise it's just you're just doing it to it's placebo. This is the importance of having water on your property and access to water. Yeah, that's the number one thing, especially if you want. We have a, a pool, a garden, and a lot of green around here. You and better, a house full of guests. You better have water and more than one water source. Yep. Oh, my gosh. And like Jason said, the heat broke today so or yesterday. And uh, we're really lucky because um, and if any of you have been to Italy in the summer and it's been during a heat wave, you know Venice, Florence, Rome. It's horrific it's just so damn hot and the mosquitoes and the heat just sits there and it's humid and we it's don't humid. have the humidity we're really lucky where we are in the peonies being nestled up here in these foothills we get we're at a little higher elevation so instead of being in umbria which is in the valley and the heat just sits there uh we are up higher and so we're at like 400 and we'll just call it 450 uh meters meters and we get a nice wind in fact too much wind i haven't even been able to it's been so hot but i haven't been able to fly the drone because it's been way too windy um which for living experience is way better (laughs) flying experience not so good well also we're in the countryside so being in in the city Remember, all these Italian cities are built out of stone, and all that it does is work like a big oven during mm-hmm. the day, and the sun just heats the stone. So even when the sun goes down in the evening, it stays hot in those in those places. Walled cities, yeah. Yeah, we're here. As soon as the sun goes down, there it's green. All we are is surrounded by green and fields. The, the earth just lets the heat go, and it gets nice and cool, and thank God we don't need air conditioning nope. at night because... 
even when it's 35, 37 degrees, like in, in the 100, almost 100 degrees uh, Fahrenheit here during the day, at night it's so nice and cool. Mm-hmm. And everyone can sleep. At most, at most, we have fans for the rooms, little um, plug-in oscillating fans. And, and uh, only two, the rooms facing the southern uh, the southern face of the house need them. The ones on the north end. Stay cool. Oh, my God. The the smallest apartment we have, the, it's like it has air conditioning. It's, I know. It's like the little cave. It's the smallest, most economical room. And um, you could think of it as kind of a forgotten room, and you know, that it's just a little small compared to the bigger rooms we have. But it's actually the best room. In, in, in this in time summer, of year, it is the oh. absolute best room. You go in there. I don't care what the temperature is outside. You go in there, and you have to get under the covers. Mm-hmm. It's great. Mm-hmm. However, in the shoulder season... <laughs> Not the best room. No, it was the old cantina in the house. So it's the coolest, darkest place. And uh, that, you sleep well. But so what's the plans for today? Gaji, oh, and Gaji's hysterical. He, the garden looks fantastic. But he will come over in the goddamn middle of the day. It, the guy's going to give himself a heat stroke. I think I he wants to, to. He planted uh, during last week's hot, 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 hot days. Uh, he came over at about 3 o'clock, I think. 3, 3.30. Stripped off his shirt, put out the vibe, got in the garden, and decided to start planting new plants, babies. Not only new plants, but the autumn stuff. So he planted all the um, fennel and cabbages, and it's it's a little early. It's not. The, it's I would wait until the second half of July. But usually in the in July we plant that stuff to be ready in September October. But. Not during a heat wave in the middle of the afternoon. These poor things. I've gone down there twice a day and just dumped water, you know, just dumped water on them twice a day for the last week to keep them alive. It's He talks out of both sides of his mouth. He said, I, I said, why are you planting these right now? It's so hot. And he goes, you can't wait for the time to be right. You just have to do it when you have the time. <laughs> I was like, It's what? like, you're retired. <laughs> what are you talking about? He just... He's awesome. I love it. I, I was busy. We had guests. and he Jason just, was like, forget it. Just let him do just it. Just let him do his thing. But um, you're retired, dude. Just wait. The, just wait. We could have done it yesterday when it was a beautiful 26 degrees outside. The flowers, the garden, everyone was so happy. Like, you just felt everyone just... Uh, just breathe. Uh, breathe. And this morning, it's a little cooler, too. But things are going well. We've gotten our first tomatoes. The potatoes yes. are done. Peppers we've been eating. The lettuces, the cu- cucumbers, and zucchini are going insane. Um, the tomatoes from Carolyn are always interesting because you don't – there's always a uh, some surprises because our sweet neighbor Carolyn will start some of the tomato seeds and she'll order some really interesting varieties and heirloom types um, from her specialty place in Holland. And this year she gave us some called Indigo Blue. Oh, I have, I have the whole list here. So um, let's see. Oh, let's go through it. Let's go through it. So some of the ones that Carolyn grows, of course, God, we do the – traditional San Marzano's. San Marzano's, the Romas, the Corre di Bue, the, di Bue, the Cost- Costoluto, all the traditional Italian varieties we like do. Like five or so, five or seven. Um, most, uh, a couple of them, two of them are for jarring, the rest are for eating. Um, how, and then Carolyn starts a, about a dozen varieties for us and they're all um, heirloom varieties, but you know, strange ones that you've never. Okay, probably so he, heard if he re- while he's reading this, I just have to say, give it a little um, 
precursor that Carolyn is Dutch and she wrote this out and it's in a really funny mix of English. It's, it's in three languages. It's in English, Dutch, and Italian. <laughs> it's all mixed up. It's really funny. It's kind of what I do too. I know. It's, it's really very funny. Carolyn. Some words, and we've t- I've talked about her with this too. Some words just sound better in Italian. Mm-hmm. Like. I don't know off the top of my head, but some of them are, you know, some words I always use in English and others just that, that thing or that action verb or whatever, it just sounds better in Italian. And she's got three. To I know. With. I love it. Okay, go ahead. Okay. First so of all, it's called tomatin. It's called tomatin. <laughs> Starting yeah. in Dutch. Um, black princes. These are dark red and sweet. They're beautiful. They are um, in the center. They're this, how would you even, um, this deep reddish brownish. Yeah. Dark color. Black princes are one of my favorite. Very little seeds. Um, Glacia. Uh, medium big red presto. Uh, <laughs> just read it. Read it out loud because you have to just read the whole thing. Um, Glacia. Early and productive. Medium big red presto uh, fecondo. Fecondo? I don't know what that is. Uh, medio grande rosso bush no poles. <laughs> Funny. Um, Next up is Golden Treasure. Yeah. Um, so Golden Treasure is another one we do. We do one called St. Pierre. Um, Olif Tomaten. There we go. There's some Dutch. Uh, small fruits use fence instead of poles. Orange banana we we do a lot. They look like uh, they're orange ones that look like San Marzano's. They're long and oblong. Ukrainian pears are oh, awesome. Yeah, these they're are a, some of the best. They're a pinky pear shape, and they're sweet and delicious. And how – okay, so they have a thin <coughs> skin but a thick pulp. Like what would you – or meat because the Ukrainian pears are so different. Yeah, they have very thin skins and and um, their seed beds are different from like um, the Italian ones where they're the seeds are all clustered in kind of a pod. Mm-hmm. The the Ukrainian pears are almost like a webbed inside where there's seeds in the webbing, mm-hmm. but there's meat throughout. Does that make sense? Not really, but <laughs> okay. Uh, indigo rose. These are one of the most beautiful tomatoes we've ever grown. They are. Like this deep violety eggplant blue color. eggplant color, and they're tiny. They look like tiny cherry tomatoes, but their aspect they start off green at the top, and as they ripen, the green moves. The green moves down, and I'm sorry, the um, violety purple moves down and covers the green as they ripen. They're beautiful. Now we did a little research into it, and read that they are really great um in heat the hardy growers they're um resistant to a lot of bugs the purple color is similar to i don't remember the name of the the vitamin protein but similar to what you get out of blueberries and so really healthy but that the taste is not near is they they was lackluster compared to the color but we'll see we haven't eaten one yet they're still a little too hard. Uh, evergreen, we have ananas noir. Wait, does evergreen mean it stays green then? I don't know. It says big and broad fruits, yellow green. Yeah. Okay. Uh, evergreen, uh, ananas noir, big and ground, outside red, inside red, brown, white, and green dolce. Ooh, that's a new one. Black crim and purple Russian. So these are all starting to come off. The bottoms of the plants are starting to ripen. And I got my first crate 
the other day, we promptly made salsa, Mexican mm-hmm. salsa, and did fake-ass Mexican food because... Um, I know, and my cilantro had bolted at this point, so it was, like, absolutely pathetic. I'm using the flowers, the stems, Yeah, just, just everything. about everything. It's like, just throw it all in, <laughs> chop it up, give it any sort of cilantro taste, because Jason was able to find some limes and avocado, so we tried to do it up, have a little Mexican night. Yeah, um, we closed the kitchen on Sunday nights for dinner. Uh, we still do cooking classes usually on Sunday mornings, afternoons, but Sunday nights is always closed for dinner, and uh, it was our chance to do a little fake ass Mexican. But the guests are the guests are doing great. They've uh, they've they're dealing with the heat very very well. Everyone's uh, it's a lot browner. Like the grass is just all dead and uh, weedy. I'm mowing weeds, and um, you say, but Jason, why wouldn't you just you know keep the grass? Green. Why not water the grass? Well, because I don't want to be the idiot with green grass dying of thirst. Yeah. If we water our, if, God forbid, knock on wood, faciamo le corne, that um, uh, we don't get rain and the wells go dry, I don't want to have green grass and dry wells. I'd rather have dead grass and well in the water. water Hell yeah. (laughs) Seriously. No, we do. Our guests are awesome. And I know there's um, some listeners, uh, give a little shout out to Mike and Nicole that were just out here from San Francisco. Podcast listeners are the best. And we have great guests because not only did we just go and we're going through this heat wave, but I'm bringing these to it because they were just out here and we not only had a heat wave, but we had a little something we call the shit storm happening. And our neighbor, we've talked about this before. He was throwing uh, manure. Go ahead. You take it over because this is your story. Okay. So our neighbor, uh, one of the, I want to give them an update. One of the farmers from Sant'Angelo, we don't have to mention his name, but we have a great finish to the end of the story. Um, He for some reason, keeps dumping the manure next to the river in a field. Now, he got busted for this about four, three, four years ago. Yeah, and we were hot on his trail. Like, we were GoProing him at night, and, oh, my God, we were talking. We've, we've talked about yes, this on the podcast yes. before. Anyway, so the the um, the authorities came down and told him he had to get rid of the, the manure by the river because it's polluting the river. So what did he do? He decided to throw the manure into the field, which is... Of course, you can use the manure to fertilize the field, of course, but there's a time to do it. Normally, this is done in the spring or the fall. Also, you must work, you throw the manure and then immediately have to turn the soil to mix the manure into the soil so it doesn't just sit superficially on top and it... it, Be freaking disgusting. (laughs) Anyway, so he throws the manure but doesn't mix it in. The heat wave comes, the flies hatch, and the air comes from the south, and this field is about 300, 400 meters to the south of us. So We had this literal, just perfect storm of heat, wind, and, that, dry. and dry that brought the freaking, it's hard not to swear, it's hard not to get real, start cursing up a storm here. Um, you had this shit smell, and then the flies everywhere. And it was like, oh, my God, it, we might as well have gotten the pigs we wanted years ago if we were going to have the smell. Because, and the flies. Oh, my God. It was horrible. And the guests were so good. Whether it was, oh, no, it's, t- so, you know, it put, makes it feel like you're at a farm. <laughs> and it was like everyone just was so kind. And then when we told them about, um, I almost said his name, the farmer and what was going on, then they were all really also intrigued. So, And then everyone had to take a walk up there and yeah, look at it. Yeah, go check it out. Check oh, yeah, it out. it's oh, definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. there. It's definitely there. Um, 
So I called this guy and said, please, can you please work the, 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 the earth so that you turn the soil and put the manure under the soil? Because it had been like two or three days. And it's it been was like, like two or three days. It's like, come on, dude. You, you, you know, I, come on, do it. Uh, so he did. He did do that. Because uh, I don't want to get – everyone said, oh, call the call the carbon, carbonari, and I was like, call the police. And I was like, I don't want to call the police. I don't want to get the authorities involved. Like, why don't I just call him? And if he's a jerk and says, go screw yourself, okay, All right, I have now no I call the cops. But give him the opportunity to, to do it. And he did. Um, thank God you called when you did. Thank God I called when I did because literally the next day, <laughs> the next day <laughs> – in the newspaper, on the news, is a huge story about a farmer, uh, this farmer, and this guy is the former mayor of Sant'Angelo and the head of the Farmers, farmers union. union. So he's this political bigwig, big fish in a little pond. He's a jerk, by the way. Uh, he had the balls to come and ask me if I would make a lunch for all his workers the other day. And it's like, dude, you no, you just, you just sprayed shit all over, basically all over us, and then you want us to make you lunch? No, thank you. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> so on the on the um, our uh, Fushiani told us, did you see the news? I said, no. What happened? He goes, go home and watch the news. Well, turns out that old Mister Poop Thrower <laughs> decided to submit three hundred thousand euros worth of false receipts to the European Union. And now got busted for it. And the Guardia di Finanza, the finance police, went in and seized all his assets. You busted. You busted, which is like tractors and whatever they could get their hands on and sell. So now he doesn't have a tractor, I don't think, to work (laughs) the land. So thank God I asked him. So what happened was there's a lot of – farmers get a lot of um, tax breaks and rebates. And there's a lot of money floating around agriculture from the European Union and the state of Italy to subsidize the farmers. Most countries do this. Well, this idiot decides to submit 300 grand worth of like false, documents. false documents to receive this money over, I don't know what year period. It was over a few years. And he finally got busted for it just the other day. And then day. he blamed the region for it or something and said that they wrote it wrong. And it was fantastic. But it felt like wonderful wonderful karma we've known this guy's been no good for since we've lived here i just didn't like like i like everyone around yeah he here. just has dirty practices he does have dirty practices and what goes around comes around and karma took 10 years or eight years or whatever because it's italy it takes longer to do everything <laughs> so karma takes a little bit longer here too but eventually it you, you, you do dirt yes. you get dirty so i thought the guests who have been out here who listen to the podcast would enjoy hearing the follow-up to that that uh it has all been taken care of. The smell is gone. The flies are gone. The flies are gone, and so is he. So <laughs> it all kind of just worked itself out, and um, lots of gossip. That was big, big oh, that gossip. Was. <laughs> big gossip. Um, it's kind uh, of fun when we know the gossip. Like, oh, we know exactly who yeah. it's about and all of that. Now, after all these years, uh, other things being talked about in town lately were the the announcement from the Italian government that they were putting up a hundred free castles and houses to. Whoever would want them. Wait, I have to ask you. That blew up online. Did you really have any Italians talking to you about it? It was on the news. Well, I know, but did anyone like in town? Because we got tons of emails, but I want to know if Italians really took it seriously at all. No, they know what okay. that means. Okay. Yeah, everyone was laughing like, oh, what, what foreigner is going to come in? And Okay, so the Italian government announced that they were putting up 100 historical landmark structures, whether it be a tower or a castle, castle or, or a house or whatever, for 
free for whoever wanted them. And this was very misleading. <laughs> oh, my God. And people's Facebooks were just like, ah, the amount of comments we got or questions and things. And there was so little information out there about it anyway. But it was like, come on, guys. So just like anything in life, there nothing is free. If it's too good to be true, it is. And here's a perfect example of clickbait. You guys, this is just such clickbait. You have no idea. This is all bullshit and marketing and, you brilliant. know. It's kind of brilliant because it got everyone talking. But – so here's what it is. The, if you submit a plan, here they give. There's a list on the Italian web on a website for the Italian government. I don't know where it is because I'm not wasting my time to go look at it. There'll be a list of different properties that they're putting up for this uh, this giveaway. You must then submit a plan how to restore these properties for touristic purposes. If the Italian government uh, selects your plan, you will be given the rights to this place for nine years to execute your plan. If you, at the end of nine years you're executing your plan and you say, look, I'm three-quarters of the way done and I need more time, they'll give you more time. But if you do nothing, they take it back now. And you can uh, continue this process for up to like a 50-year lease, it looked like. I think so. So you never truly own the property. You just get to Dump, dump millions <laughs> and millions of euros into a place to turn it into a touristic or historical landmark and but you never really you never really um own it also they are target the government is targeting entrepreneurs and cooperatives as business primarily made of up to of made up of under 40 year olds who are ed- eligible for an art bonus all right what under 40-year-old do you know who has millions and millions? Like, there's nothing. I mean, go and look at some of these places. There's no roads sometimes. There's no um, infrastructure. There's no roof. There's no plan. There's no nothing. And you're talking about a castle or a tower or a specialized thing. You're also talking about a historic property where you can't just get, you know. You can't just do it how you want. You're, this means you need to go and get all of the old um it has to be drawings, whatever that's called, the architectural workup of the house, and it has to be the exact same as it was before. And you have to do it in a certain way, and it has to be checked off. And so you're talking. I want to know how if you have nine years to have this place. How long? Do, how long do the permissions take in yeah. the plan? Nine years. Exactly. Your first time to resubmit, you haven't even finished the house. So this is total clickbait. No one is going to do this because who wants? Or like you said, it will entice someone who has a lot of money to find a. Yeah, it'll be you some know, developer guy who's got a who's got a nephew who's you know twenty eight years old, and they'll just run it all through there and use it as some it's funnel funnel to funnel something. It's just guys, if it's too good to be true, it definitely is. And here's a perfect example. Oh my god, go ahead, go restore a castle in in Tuscana. Go for it. I'm sure, it'll be. Sure, it'll be economico. I know. And, you know, maybe we should find someone who's done a restoration project or yeah, interview Carolyn and Luke. Luke on the podcast sometime because we did get an email or an Instagram question about that um, some listeners were going to be restoring a place and just curious about the process and how long and finding the right artisans and sourcing stuff. And maybe we should fire up the mics with Carolyn and Luke sometime. Um, yeah, those are sounds like the the great question. That's that's on par with how long does it take to learn Italian? It how, does. How long exactly. does it take to restore a property? Well, they were smart because they lived a block away from where they were. You the, have to the you property have they to, were restoring, so they could be there waiting every day. Yes. Mm-hmm. What else is going on in Italy? Oh, we went to a fancy schmancy lunch the other day. Yes, you set it up. Um, should we push pause real quick? 
Yeah, because I, I have to use the restroom. One moment, please. So this uh, – oh, wait. Let me see. Oh, sorry. This weekend we went and got ourselves all dressed up on Sunday when the – or Saturday when the guests checked out. Uh, did a quick change of clothes and met some friends on the coast that started off as guests and became friends. And we met them for lunch as they were traveling through the area. We never do the super, super fancy in Italy. No, this is actually the first time we've been to a – I don't even know, Michelin – is it a Michelin restaurant? I think it said it was. Anyway. Anyway, first off, great company. Yes, yes, yes. We had a great time. It was nice to meet him. And this was a good experience because we literally never, ever, ever do this. No. So it was good that they took us out of their, our comfort zone. Exactly. there's no way in hell I would recommend a <laughs> restaurant like this to go to. So let's talk Italian fine dining. Yeah. What does that mean to you, Jason? Um, or what's your experience with it? Um, from from this experience, I don't know. Italian fine dining, it seems like the Italians are stuck in the late 90s, early 2000s when it comes to fine dining. Um, they're really into the gelat- the little pieces of gelatin and the foams and the, the tweezers with the microgreens placed on places and... To me, it's just kind of outdated. outdated, not outdated in the sense of like from the 80s. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> but this is more like... Yeah, we're not talking aspic and things like that. No, that are well, all that's sudden... even older. I that's, know. But I'm talking about stuff that we were doing in New York when before I left that <laughs> <sighs> it's just not interesting. No. So let's talk about lunch. We went to a place, um, Madonnina del Pescatore. And this is supposed to be a very fancy schmancy um, highfalutin chef from the Marque here. And his biggest competition is another, uh, I think, Michelin-starred restaurant in Senegalia, the same town it's in, called Uliasi. And um, we're more familiar. We've never been to either at the time. Um, but locally, Uliasi is kind of spoken about quite often. So we're familiar with it and still not that interested in it as well. <laughs> no. <laughs> so anyway, we thought, okay, this is curious. Let's go see the competition. and Well, not the competition. Not our competition. Not our competition. For Uliasi and mm. for this upscale Italian eatery uh, dining experience. So we get there. Well, first off, we were the only That's ones I was just going to say. For lunch, which is never – we were the only ones. No, actually, we should say – we should start with the door because the door pissed you off, the front door. You have to be buzzed in. You had to be buzzed in. There's no one at the restaurant. G- open glass everywhere. You walk in. You walk up to the restaurant, and it's t- it's a big glass box in front. You just see right in. You yeah. see all the waiters and the tables and everything. But the door is locked, and the door is all dark. Like it's like uh, you can't see through the door. And we're. I was like, what? I you can see them. Are they not open yet? We're late for the reservation. What's going on? And it's like, oh no, you have to. Buzz. Jason goes, oh my god, you have to buzz. <laughs> We get buzzed in, and uh, we wait for our friends to arrive, and it was like, oh, my God, this does not bode well. We're the only a-holes here. (laughs) Well, okay, listen. I'm I'm going to rip this place apart because (laughs) – Just do it. And to our friends who we went with, this has nothing to do with you guys. This is more just for fun because we never do this kind of thing. First of all, I don't understand restaurants, and we've done this in Spain too. The it's like a it's like our place. All really, when you boil it down, it's a clean bathroom and a comfortable bed. When you boil it down to a restaurant, you are sitting there, especially this kind, for like three and a half or four hours. The chair must be comfortable. I don't give a shit what it looks like. First off, 
I know you other people do. But if you can't be comfortable sitting in this chair for three hours, why is it in this fancy ass restaurant that all you people do is sit here for long periods of time? You start. You hated the chair immediately. Oh my god! I sat down. I go. This is the most uncomfortable <laughs> chair I've ever sat in. We went to some fancy restaurant in Spain, oh and they sat God. us at these on like bean bags on these little weird tables where you like hunch over, and they're bringing out you know these prawn, six prawns that cost eighty bucks. And it's like, <laughs> like, can we get a chair? Can we get a chair? Like, what the hell? Oh my God! Does that make me old? I guess I'm sure it does. <laughs> okay, anyway. so we decide to get the tasting menu, and um. Tasting menus, 100 euros. It, I didn't understand their menu. It was very confusing. There was a lot of different like menus. You, There was a m- midday menu, but that wasn't available today. Then there was the like three different menus, and then there was this like three different tasting menus, but then you could, if you wanted, pick and choose from all the other. Very confusing. It was really confusing because then there was – we weren't sure if it was pricing or what number. There was numbers next to the dishes, and it was like, what's 03, 13, and 17? But it was before, and it would be point one seven. Yeah, I didn't understand. I, I don't know. Whatever. It was, the menu was really. Key. <laughs> I I had literally had to ask like three times. I'm sorry. I, I'm still not understanding. Where am I supposed to order from? I felt ridiculous. <laughs> so go ahead. You said you were going to rip it. Um. Let's see. Um. The first thing that came out was a um, Parmesan crisp. Uh, like a ice cream sandwich, but made with a Parmesan crisp and like Parmesan, Parmesan gelato. gelato. I Parme- thought it was delicious. Ashley liked it. I lo- the Parmesan crispy thing was good, but here's another thing. Oh my God, we've been doing Parmesan crisp it, since. <laughs> True. <laughs> I mean, I worked in, in at the Harbor Club in Seattle in 1998, and we were doing Parmesan, the big stupid Parmesan crisps coming out of the Caesar salads. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, also. Um, Everything else was very small portion size, but for some weird reason, that this was, was huge. huge. It was huge. And because it's gelato, you can feel like you can't quite put it down to fin- like come back to it. Now, now before I – before well, we've already gone into it. But let me, let me um, preface this by saying when you ch- – this restaurant, this tasting menu for lunch came out to be 130, 130 40 euros a, a head. Mm-hmm. The the mean price for a nice lunch at a place all up and down the coast is about thirty or thirty five. Yes, I can go to La Quinta, Nadia, um, Mar- uh, Maria, all these like home style, hole in the wall places, and eat a fantastic fish lunch for thirty five bucks. Mm-hmm. Right, antipasto primo secondo, the dolce, whole thing. the cafe, the wine, the whole nine. So when you're going four times that, it's got to be – we are taking it to another level, and our expectations are going to be totally different than when I go sit down at La Quinta. As Fat Zach says, wow me. I want to be wooed. <laughs> I do. I want something I want something that is – totally blows my mind or totally is out of the box or something that's, something that's traditional, that's done exceptionally well. So Well, and to me, when I hear something about a Michelin star being involved – because I don't know that much and don't really care that much, but to me that means there's got to be something exciting or innovative or um, I don't know, just something different. So I would have to say that the first thing, the Parmesan crisp with the the ice cream sandwich with the Parmesan gelato is not. It was huge. It was okay. Then three. Then there was a taste. There was a trip around the anchovy. Three little this plate with three holes, a long rectangle. With three holes and three different little tastes of the anchovy. It was a trip around the anchovy. 
First of all, the spoons that they used for each of the little tastes were plastic serving spoons that you would find, like go to the fancy food show and they'd given out samples. That's what they used. It was really weird. That part was really weird. I did not understand why. Like the glass plate, they have each person is being served by their own Waiter. waiter yet there's 18 different gla- <laughs> wine glasses on, on yeah, the we table given these plastic sporks it they was, were plastic sporks it was ridiculous <laughs> um the three the taster on the anchovy one was a um like a what do you call it the fried shrimp rice cracker the asian rice cracker yeah, with a called. with like a canal of some kind of anchovy mm-hmm. again uh, they give you those free for when you get takeout Chinese <laughs> or takeout I uh, or when you go to the Asian grocery store the uh, shrimp chips or those puffy white crinkly yeah 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 the second thing tasted like a uh, mouthful a a mouthful Jeez. of cold lox cream cold bad tempty lox cream cheese um that was not what you said it was hysterical you took a bite and you were silent and smiled and we all got nervous because you were like no try it just tell me what you think we thought oh my god why is it so bad or weird and you just said zaybars it tasted like Zay- <laughs> like like just lox cream cheese like smoked salmon cream cheese from zaybars for any new yorkers you know what we're yeah, talking I'm like, about it's missing the bagel <laughs> Um, Where's the bagel? It's Where's my shmia. There's my shmia. And what was the first one? I forget. I don't know. I could look it up. I could look the picture Doesn't up. Doesn't matter. Anyway, um, I don't know. Just not great. I mean, the, the may, listen, this, and. Uh, He's not trying to sound really like a jerk a off. What? The service wasn't great either. They had five waiters for the four of us. One was the head waiter, and he knew what he was doing. The other four had uh, – no, the two, the, the, the man woman. and the woman. She knew what he was doing. The other three had no idea. There was this one poor kid, this one poor chubby nice kid with <laughs> big puffy hair. He had no idea. Like He kept putting things on the wrong spot. Yeah. For me. I didn't care. I wouldn't have even noticed until two other people would come and fix it. And it was like, oh, God. Now let me get now the decor and the service. I could I have no I could care less about. I am there for the food. Uh-huh. Whereas Ashley should comment more on the decor and the service. This is true. And I just heard Gaji beep, so we got to go. Uh, oh no, we can't finish. Okay, we'll have to continue. We'll push pause. Okay. That was Gaji stopping by to bust chops as usual. Telling me I'm not watering my garden. <laughs> he knows how to set you off. Man, he can. He can. Push my buttons really well. Um, anyway, okay, so um, getting back to the, the restaurant. Uh, blah, 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 where were we? It, well, let's just move ahead. We had, there was a lasagna, a fish lasagna. Um. The fish, every fish dish that we had, the fish was cooked properly. The, um, the octo, we had octopus, uh, an octopus plate. That the, the octopus was delicious. But at this level... The fish should be cooked properly. The fish should be fresh. We're looking for more because you're, you're, the expectation is that. And I just didn't think, it, it just was stale. It was old. I know. It kind of left for this reviewer cold in that sense. That we, when Way we've gone to foam. Spain and um, France and have rarely gone out to a fancy schmancy restaurant, at, there's been a couple times where you walk away with something that really kind of wowed you or stuck with you. We ate at a place in Spain. We talked about this in Barcelona where they used tobacco in the ice cream and it was so interesting and it left like a it burned your tongue but yes. it was really smoky at the same time and we couldn't and stop thinking about it later going god that was so curious because it was something familiar but you're like what is this um and other meals where like they used um a new infusion of 
smoke for lack of a better term. I don't even remember what the dish was exactly. This was now two years ago, but it was a really interesting way to infuse the dish, not just because it was trying to be fancy or like use a chip. Like for example, the, they did a brodo, which, or a brodetto, which is a famous, the most famous uh, dish of La Marca, especially at the sea. It's a, at times it's supposed to be a 12 fish stew. And, um, Gaji says you should never order at a restaurant because it should always be homemade. A restaurant doesn't care enough to make it the right way. They won't spend enough time on it. Well, their way to kind of, uh, you know, kick it up a notch was they put coconut milk in with it. And it was like, okay, like that. It's- but the way they did it was the waiter comes around, puts those tiny dish in front of you. And then pours the coconut milk or whatever it was. I don't was it coconut yeah, milk? Yeah, trying to be for show. But what was funny was when we went to um, after the whole lunch, to skip ahead really quick, we did stop at our friends Paula and Antonio's um, for gelato, even though we already had dessert. And she was cracking up because she felt the same way about Italian fine dining and was like, you know, it's this stuck in the past. And she said, and they seem like they're discovering these flat lemongrass for the first time. And she's like, as if other people hadn't already traveled to Asia and are thinking, yeah, okay. Lemongrass has been around for a while. This does, this isn't what makes it so exciting or special. Um, so the coconut milk, it was like, eh, okay. Yeah. I mean, all the fish was cooked properly. The dessert, the dessert, they did a, um, Here's what drives me nuts. So they did this soccer, the soccer cake, this really dense Austrian chocolatey thing that's shaped. That's a that's a cake, but they did it in the form of a apricot. Now here's my problem with this. There's no apricot. There's no apricot in it. It doesn't. It looks like an apricot. There's no apricot taste. All that they did is paint a mold the apricot color, make this cake in it, and pop it out. Wow. Ta-da. It was confusing. I was like, wait, where's the apricot? I don't Why understand. shape it like an apricot? Why not shape it like a Ferrari? Or I asked for a Ferrari <laughs> cake. <laughs> did he did it? Did he did it? Um, so it's just like, uh, whatever. Then the last one. The last one was, took the cake for me. They wanted to do these little jellies or these little like chocolates and they wanted to do like how it took you takes you around the world there's one from the state there's one from north america south america blah 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 blah. the way they executed it was to print out a risk card on and put it on cardboard and then laminate Laminate the cardboard and present it to you with each little piece on a different continent and the card though the cards weren't really done very nicely so they're all you know they weren't very flat so the pieces were kind of popping off it was off and hokey it was hokey as shit it yeah. was like oh my god i would what have is almost this? preferred like the chef to have done with a really bad freehand like drawn the continents you know with like um chocolate and then just placed it on like a hand-drawn map on the plate like that would have been at least i don't know it was just like okay we printed out these risk boards that for some reason kept thinking i kept thinking it looked like where in the world is carmen san diego and i just thought it looked like they did a bad job of cutting it off the cutting it out of the box or something (laughs) anyway it was kind of disappointing too much foam too many pieces this guy was so in love with these little pieces of gelatin like every dish had little square not every dish but a lot of the dishes have these all a lot of little squares of gelatin now if we took a step back and we think about this lunch from a different point of view um it looked like our friends really enjoyed it we didn't want to say shit because we don't want to seem like jerks <laughs> but um so the uh, our question is are we are we 
for lack of a better term, dicks for, you know, ripping a fine dining place apart? Or is it that we feel like after 10 years, that's not what Italian food is or how it's done best. Like in France, maybe it is at times, maybe a Michelin starred restaurant is where you want to go or in Spain. And, but just like in those two places too, there's something about the rustic country cooking that just, I don't know if it just. But even looking, okay, so they gave us these books at the end oh for my su- God. every sucker who eats at your restaurant and spends too much money gets these books of other michelin like famous high-end restaurants of italy and all i don't like places i don't like restaurants that take food and transform it into something else when we if you have a beautiful ricci di mare a beautiful piece of fish or whatever why do we have to transform it into the shape of an apricot with no apricot you know what i mean mm-hmm. um I like it just to be more simple. I don't think Italian, the Italian kitchen is fancy. Why do we have to make it high? It just doesn't, for me, it, for me, man. No, um, <laughs> I don't like the high end Italian kitchen. I like, to me, uh, Italian food is a trattoria, hole in the wall, small place, a few, a few tables. Um, the menu is the menu, like yeah. preferably without a menu. Mm-hmm. Um, that the whole to thing's me- a little chaotic and. Like your brother says, not filth in the sense of no, 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 restaurants, but, but we like it a little rough around the edges. I like it rough around the edges because Italian food is that. It is a little rough around the edges. French food is different. I we, We've done – when we go to Limoges or when we go to c- central France, it's nice to go to the higher-end restaurants because French food works that delicate way. It also works country style and, and – v- Give me a give me a steak slapped on the plate with rare with fritz and and a cheese plate after and it's like th- that's great too but I think the French and the Spaniards do better at when they go for the high end and I'm talking about after I'm talking all this shit after going to one restaurant so true true I'm talking a lot of shit uh-huh. for a very very little amount of information but. It's just not me. I prefer the rustic. I prefer rustic Italian, and I will never ever go back to another expensive restaurant. I know. This, it's, take me to Milan or a bigger city, maybe, but I just don't think that it works out here. I don't know how that restaurant survives. Well, neither do I. I just wanted to give people your honest opinion because I think that sometimes people are curious about that. You know, do I spend the money? We're traveling, you know, along the Adriatic. Do we spend the money and, and look up the place that, you know. It's a bit more expensive and looks hotty toddy, or do we just go and roll the dice at the no, hole in the wall? No, it, it, Italy, it's you can't roll the in the dice I know. either. You can save money or time. You spend your time. So spend the time researching the holes in the walls. Save your money because the hole in the wall will be 30 bucks and you're going to eat like a king. This place was 150 bucks, and I left scratching my head, being like, I don't know if I'm still hungry or if it definitely wasn't great. Like, I. We lived in New York for 10 years. I went to a fair share of really, really nice restaurants, and this does not stand So up. mark it off your list, folks. <laughs> <laughs> if we came out sounding like dicks, I guess. I don't know. I just That's my honest opinion of it. I came in there with high expectations. I know. I, I was Like I said, I wanted to be wowed, but it was still a lovely day. Since there was no one there, we could be loud Americans and chat and talk. Or I guess they're Canadians, so. Um, but... Yeah, they would be very offended. I know. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but it was still a nice day. It was a fun excuse to get dressed up. I got to put on my sexy high heels. Yeah, which I put on. I never get to wear those no, outside of the farmhouse. I put on a shirt and pants that weren't stained or ripped. I know. This, it was, that's why it was a pretty big day for us. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, speaking of a big day, Gaji's here and he's down in the garden waiting for Jason to join him. Yep, we got to, uh, it's time to plant some more borlotti beans and some more string beans. We've got to continue with the watering. I have to go mow weeds. Um, it's terrible because even though the, it's all, all the grass is all kind of half dead, it, the weeds <laughs> pop up and it just looks ugly. <laughs> at least if, at least if we're going to have dead grass, I want it to be all the same length. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Well, it's are time you, to let the chickens out. Uh, are you going to do your book? Are you going to read at the end or no? Uh, we'll make it a surprise. I'm not quite sure. I guess I should. Let's do it. Okay, very good. Bring us home. Let everyone know about what's going on for the fall. That's important. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Come on out this autumn to La Tavola Marque. Um, September and October are hands down my favorite time of year out here. I know I love the spring and summer and all of that too, but I'm a fall baby and I love it. It is a little bit cooler nights. There's harvest festivals each weekend. October 1st starts white truffle season. And each weekend in October in our surrounding area here between um, Pecchio, Piobico, um, Aqualanya, there's a different truffle festival each weekend. It's a great time to come visit. Um, go horseback riding and all of the other harvests coming in from the potatoes and whatnot in um, Borco Pache for their potato and um, what's it called? Gnocchi Festival to the, in September, Piobico's Polenta Festival, and you can come and join the Ugly Club. So come and visit us this autumn. You can find all the details at info at com. We have a three-night um, gourmet getaway where you come, kind of like what we do in the summer for pizza night, but you come and um, have a beautiful five-course dinner. The next day we do the market trip on Friday to Fushis. You go to go meet the infamous Fushiani, um, walk the market for Porchetta. <laughs> What were you going to say? Infamous, or is that notorious? Which one does it mean that you're like a criminal? Notorious. Okay, not infamous. Notorious. Um, and then uh, we've got a half-day cooking class. Or we did a smaller package if you guys only are able to come out for two nights. Um, come for dinner and then a full-day cooking class the next day. So you get a bunch of cooking in in a short amount of time and then head on your way to wherever your next destination may be. So, like I said, shoot us an email at info at latavolamarche, L-A-T-A-V-O-L-A-M-A-R-C-H-E dot com. Check out the website, Facebook, Twitter. You know the use. You guys are the awesome listeners. And we love all your comments and feedback and questions. And we'll do a listener question podcast coming up soon, too. Um, and more from the book. Oh, also, two spots left. By the time you're listening to it, it could be full. But there are two spots or one couple space left available for this October's uh, consulting workshop on how to move to Italy and start a business. All right. You do it. All right. Have a great day. <laughs> not the way you end the you, podcast. Well, we need to break up the voices because then I'm going to do the book. All right. Have a great day. <laughs> Okay, guys, thank you so much for downloading our podcast. We really appreciate it. Uh, it's really crazy that you email and, and um, communicate with us, and there's someone actually out there listening. I cannot ever believe it. So thank you so much. Tell a friend if you like what we're doing. Spread the love. Spread the word. Tell them to come out here. We would love to see you here sometime. All right. Very good. I'm going to go sweat down in the garden. I'm going to sit here and turn on the fan and read the book. Excellent. All right. Lovely. Have, have a great day. Thanks so much. Ciao. The continuation of the untitled, unpublished, unfinished book about our life here in La Marque during our first year. Remember, I have not read this since I'm reading it out loud in about five years. So bear with me. Chapter nine. These are chapter summaries. Chapter nine. The learning curve. 
We constantly butcher the language, but hey, at least we're trying, right? Our Italian lessons in New York never prepared us for running a business, plumbing, negotiating, bartering, or even pumping gas. I would get bits and pieces of sentences and look to Jason hoping he has understood more than me, because in the whole conversation, I got green, tree, and something about Wednesday. Pulling up to the Ad Jeep petrol station, just outside of Urbana, next to the garden shop, Jason confidently rolls down his window and told the friendly Italian gas attendant, who looks more like a soccer coach, to fill it up. Si, piano, per favore. What Jason actually said was, yes, slowly, please. The attendant is too nice to correct the jovial American. Instead, he smiles, starts to pump, and asks how our day is and where we're headed on this beautiful, brisk morning. It's the difference between piano and piano. With a single slip of the letter, the word changes meaning completely. In a quaint local family-run restaurant here in La Marque, I didn't realize a dish from Rome would be so exotic or taboo. I ordered a salad called punterelle, but instead asked for puntanesca, requesting a whore with my steak. <laughs> you should have seen the waiter's face. However, not all language blunders are bad. When Megan inadvertently translated chocolate fondante to mean Nutella, we created a delicious mistake with a Nutella walnut cake with Italian neighbors begging for the recipe. Now that most of the inside of the house is cleaned, I can focus on promoting the business. I sit for days at the local cafe with Wi-Fi, alternating between the closest three, depending on who's open, who brews a stronger cafe, and if it's afternoon or evening, which bar has the best snacks. Jason would often drop me off since I couldn't drive stick at the time, and I would work for hours on end, beginning my grassroots marketing blitz for our inn and cooking school, as well as the region as a whole. I always knew if we were going to grow our business, we would have to help grow the region and educate tourists on what, what there was to do here. Hell, most Italians don't even know where La Marca is. How can you expect an American, especially when they think Tuscany is one big city in central Italy? While Megan and Jason chop and restack wood or grocery shop, I zone out the, at the computer, blogging, sharing recipes, pitching stories about our move to magazines, hitting Facebook and Twitter hard. With zero budget for publicity, I had to find creative ways to spread the word about our little slice of paradise and undiscovered La Marque. The hard part was that with little to no internet at our house, everything had to be done in town, at least a 12-kilometer drive each way. It was important to use my time wisely and not get sidetracked by tempting TMZ headlines. This looked strange to the locals that would watch me sitting at a back table at the computer for at times up to four to five hours, only getting up to pee because I've drank in so much tea. They wondered what I could possibly be doing online for so long. Try uploading photos on TripAdvisor at dial-up speed. Thank God they served good wine because at times it made you want to poke your eyes out. And with that, I had to learn patience. Communication, no phone line, no internet, shoddy cell phone reception available only by the pool has always been our Achilles heel of doing business. If I wanted high-speed internet at my fingertips at home, I should have stayed in New York. Sure, it drives me crazy sometimes that communication in the countryside is like having a tin can on a string. But we knew moving here, we'd have to take the good with the bad. I swallow my multitasking pride, and just like that, the internet connection, I slow down, enjoy my tea, and wait for the page to load. All right, moving on. Porchetta Passion, Chapter 10. After two too many trips into town, only to discover everything is closed due to either the midday break or a random Saints Day, we're finally getting down the village schedule. Remember, it's a long, windy road into town. 
Monday afternoons, Piobico is closed. Tuesday, the Porchetta Truck and Fushiani are there. Wednesday afternoons, everything is closed in Urbana, but on Thursdays, it's bustling with the traveling market. Friday, the market moves to Piobico. Saturday, everything is open, and Sunday, everything is closed. It's a gorgeous Tuesday morning, and we're on our way to Piobico. They're the usual errands to run, but our real motivation is to visit the Porchetta Truck for a little mid-morning snack. If you love meat and pork in particular, then you just might find a slice of heaven in porchetta panini or a pork sandwich. Porchetta is a whole deboned loin of pork, a deboned loin of a roasted pig stuffed with salt, pepper, rosemary, wild fennel, and the innards of the pig. It is then rolled, spit roasted, spitted and roasted traditionally over wood. Salty, fatty, crunchy, it melts in your mouth. The bread saltless. Crumbles about making a bit of a mess, but perfectly offsets the pork. Those in the know will ask for their panini con crosta, which lets the man know that you are no porchetta first-timer. And just like that, just like it sounds, you want the crusty bits. Watch with your mouth watering as he cuts off a generous hunk of crunchy golden pig skin and places it atop the meat before closing the panino and rolling it up perfectly in white paper. Stuffing up for a bit of porchetta is not just gluttonous. It feeds our social hunger as well. The porchetta truck is a proverbial water cooler in Piobico. All the usual suspects can be found congregating in the tiny piazza on Main Street, Via Roma, where every, fri- every Tuesday, Fushiani parks his meat and cheese truck alongside with the porchetta truck for a frontal, frontal pork attack from 8 a.m. to noon or whenever they decide to pack up and go home. Fushiani holds court over his faithful and hungry subjects, everyone's hands tightly grasping their panino. Their other hand is left free to alternate between cigarettes, wine, outlandish gestures, and phone calls, sometimes all at once. Our neighbor Giancarlo is there with his wild-haired and crooked smile, buying a leg of prosciutto from Fushiani for his restaurant. Ruggiero the plumber is skipping out on his 10 a.m. call to peck at fresh pecorino, and Jason just wants to fit in with the boys. Also, Tuesdays is when we'd pick up our mail that was still being delivered to Fushiani's house in neighboring village of Apecchio. The men of town brag about the latest hunting trip, how their sausages are curing, curing, and as always, their conversation turns to weather. While Jason mingles with the men, I sneak off to the pharmacy with my sister. Do you think it will be the old guy or his hot son, she asks, crossing over the Candeliano River. I know, which is worse, I said, dreading this day for months we entered the family-run pharmacy just as luck would have it today there is a line out the door and it's the old man working the counter the pharmacist is in his mid-60s though his hair is dyed jet black and is combed straight back creating a poofy fluff to the front of his head short like most of the other men around this area he wears little glasses and a long crisp white doctor's coat Mustering up all my confidence and a big friendly smile, I wasn't exactly sure to ask what I was looking for. In my best Italian, ciao, do you have pills for sex and no babies? Oh my God, I can't believe I asked him. There it is, there it is out there. My heart is pounding, my Catholic shame setting in. I just told a 50-year-old stranger I want to have sex. Deathly embarrassed to ask about birth control in a Catholic country, afraid I'd be bombarded with questions as to why a young, fertile, married couple is not trying yet to conceive. I just didn't want to get into it. Not to mention I'm convinced the condom machine outside the pharmacies have a hidden camera that takes your picture and sends it to your mother. 
He seemed to understand perfectly because without another word, he quickly retrieved the sex pills and I was on my way. A few years later, the very same pharmacist told me, soon I will stop filling these. You're not getting younger. You're married. No? Then why not have a baby? Now that's what I expected. (laughs) All right. For the next podcast, we'll start the next section of the book. That was all the prelude in winter. The uh, The next section will start spring. Chapter 11. Spring. In like a lion, out like a fox. All right. Have a great day. Ciao, ciao. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy, and we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.